Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeff Broger, and I am here with Michael Borodensky. Michael, thanks for being on. Pleasure to be here. So why don't you start off by telling our listeners who you are and where you're from? So I am uh, from, I hail from New Jersey. I've been uh, a lifelong resident. I've been in the mortgage industry from pretty much the moment I left college. I attended the University of Delaware and I graduated, uh, I hate to admit this, in 1983. And uh, three weeks later, I started my career in the mortgage business. So it's been uh, going on 38 years and it's been... uh, you know, a nonstop, bit of a roller coaster at times, but probably the most uh, gratifying career one could have. Wow. So real estate all the way through. Absolutely. Real estate uh, finance has been kind of interesting. It was just coincidental that I took a real estate finance course my senior year of college. And it got me, it got me introduced to the concept of the value of buying real estate and obviously how to finance it. And not only did it, you know, it launch a career for me, but it also encouraged me to be a buyer of a home rather to be a, uh, a renter. So rather than me going from my home residence with my parents, I went from a home residence with parents right to buying my first condominium. So, and obviously that was the smartest thing I ever did because it's always better to be paying your own mortgage than paying your landlord's mortgage. So that's right. Nothing beats the concept of home uh, home ownership. No, got gotta love it, and you know that's what uh, my listeners are harping every day for uh, those uh, renters to buyers, those uh, rent to own leads. So, what's the single most important action over your thirty-eight year career that you attribute to your success? Is there a, a common thread? Yeah, there's a common thread, and that is, and there, well, it's basically love what you do and have a mission for why you do it, and that's to treat your customer like they're your friend or your family, and not not like a number or a means to an end to, you know, to make money. So, you know, throughout the years, it's been, you learn this early in your career because you kind of figure out what really works. If you don't provide the kind of service that people expect, if you're not transparent, if you're not, uh, if you don't provide proper expectations, guidance, and give them a sort of a, you know, a, a roadmap to success on how a process works, you're going to have unhappy customers and that won't do you well at all. You will not, uh, whether it's real estate, whether it's mortgage lending or any other business that you're in, it's all about taking care of your customers. And if you take good care of them and treat them like how you'd want to be treated, there's enormous uh, gratification that you get from seeing your customers happy and taken care of. Remember that the the home buying process from a financial standpoint is one of the biggest decisions people make in their lifetime, whether it's their first home or their next home or maybe their last home. It's an extremely important position. And as a mortgage lender, as a mortgage consultant, call me whatever you want, you're also kind of an advisor. You're kind of a wealth manager. 
uh, a client borrower, call them whatever you want, is going to provide you a very, very transparent overview of their situation. You're going to know everything about them. You're going to know, as a mortgage lender, you're going to know more about this particular client than your, you know, that my partner in real estate knows. You're going to know their credit report. You're going to know their income, their assets, their motivation, everything. So, you know, you really have a lot of their um, sort of their financial lifeline in your hands. And what do you do with that? Do you take advantage of it or do you try to steer them in the best product with the best execution, the best service and the best delivery so that at Mm -hmm. the end of the at the end of the transaction, they got what they wanted? And that's really what gratification is. I look at myself, believe it or not, as a highly compensated social worker. And it sounds silly, but it, it's true because there's a lot of emotion that goes into the home buying process. There's a lot of fear and anxiety. And what you know, what your job is to understand and, and be sensitive to those fears. People are, they could be embarrassed about their situation. They could be embarrassed not to know enough. And it's important for me as a loan consultant to be an educator into the process as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And like you said, loving what you do, which you you clearly have a passion for it. And that's amazing. One of my clients used to say, whenever someone asks you, you know, why do real estate professionals get paid so much? He would respond, well, we're really 90% psychologists, 10% sales reps, but we only get paid for the 10%. Interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so, but to to your point, there's a lot of psychology, Jeff, in the process of what we do. And you know, remember, I said earlier, I said I'm highly compensated, but I, but still a social worker. So it it speaks to what you just referred to, because you if you're like any industry, if you do well and you take care of your people, what happens that attributes to success, and success can be defined. In a lot of ways, it could be, you know, financial where you've done very, very well. You've earned a very, very strong living in this industry. This mortgage lending is a way, you know, there's it's unlimited in terms of how successful you can be. But that success doesn't come strictly by luck. It's not even always driven by by market opportunity just because the rates came down. You still have to deliver. And the longevity in my business, and I'll go, I'll refer back to that is a product of people coming back to me. You know, it's repeat customers, it's word of mouth. So it's never, never rely on just one way to generate your business. You can, you know, go after, there's lead generation options, of course. You can go after, you can leverage social media, for example, as a means to get business. But when you want to build a foundation, whoever it is or however it is you've generated that business, it repeats itself because one customer, one of the things that I uh, always remind myself to do, and I'll remind anyone to do it, is at the point of sale, when the borrower decides that they've chosen me as their mortgage lender, there's a level of really euphoria, but still anxiety. The euphoria is that they feel like they've made the right decision. And I hope, and I reinforce that. So at that point, I actually remind them that I want them to keep me in mind because there will be constant communication that if they have any friends, family, colleagues that want the same type of option, the same type of terms, the same type of guidance, then to refer me, because that's the ultimate compliment is a referral. And then at the end of the transaction, and this becomes even more crucial because the last thing 
that a customer really remembers is how the transaction finished more so than how it started because everything could start fine and then a transaction could go off the rails if you if you don't you know meet their expectations and there's a lot of things that could happen that could cause that As problem we all to happen. know <laughs> so at the end that's the le- the next thing i do at the end is again reproach them and remind them that if they were truly satisfied I asked them for two things. One, I asked them to fill out a customer satisfaction survey, which is part of our um, process on the post-close, and then to consider uh, referring their friends, family, and colleagues to me. And it works. On that point, what is your percentage of referral business to new business? Probably 50%. And that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that that yeah. is significant. That's also significant new business. So, you know, you mentioned some lead generation strategies and really that's what my agency specializes in is, you know, automated real estate lead generation and follow-up. Yeah. And so, you know, what kinds of lead generation strategies are you doing, you know, other than referrals? Like what's been your most profitable lead generation strategy? Well, the problem with lead generation strategy is you've got to be very, very careful with where you're getting them from because mm. some lead generation strategies are more uh, valuable than others. What I've done is I've done more search and I've, I've invested in some search engine optimization. So there's ways in which people can find me. I continue to invest in co-branded marketing uh, with my real estate partners. So whether it's a, it could be a postcard mailer, it could be um, some email blasts to, you know, thousands of people, I found that to be more uh, valuable than like cold leads because cold leads are tough to find. And if I haven't been able to find successfully a lead generation system where purchasing leads has, has resulted in in quality business, um, most of my clients are, you know, they're in a better position to buy than than some of the lead generation. We got to be very very careful with with who we're talking to, but. I work with a wide spectrum of buyers, though. So it's important that you understand, Jeff. I work with uh, first-time buyers. I work with affordable housing um, agencies, which is a whole process in itself because most of the leads that come out of the the affordable housing agencies are folks that are, they're all renters, and a lot of them aren't prepared to buy now. So my job in that case this is, these are not really what you'd call hot leads. These are developing leads. So these are the folks that you're going to want to care to take the time, regardless of their background, regardless of, you know, again, in my business, the only commonality that I have with people is the color green. We don't see color. We don't see location. We don't see anything. Green is the common val- common denominator in anything. And you want to help everyone, regardless of their background, regardless of their situation. So the folks that aren't ready to, to be a buyer today will be ready with the proper guidance. It could be restructuring their debt. It could be uh, getting some additional savings together. It could be some stability of employment, things like that. So that's a process. And then, you know, there's referral sources that I have uh, worked with for years. I have builder clients, for example, who are who've been building um, new homes, whether it's condominiums, townhomes or single family uh, communities. I've been working with some of these developers for over 30 years and they're extremely loyal. And, you know, we provide a very, very, very sharp execution with providing the type of products that builders need. And, and, And that's another niche part of my business. So the and ways I develop business is multifaceted. And you're right, because 50% of my business, while I could rest on my laurels there, 
I'm still motivated to what you what you might call hunt and gather. Hunt and gather is lead generation. So lead generation can come from some of the things that we just you know we just covered. Right. And is there any one that you would say is more profitable or the most profitable over your career? No, not really. It's just um, a lot of it's networking. You know, like I said, I, I found, you know, social media is not necessarily an ends to a mean in terms of uh, lead generation, but social media is a way to keep yourself relevant. So that's important, too, is relevance is you know, I could post a story, I could post something. And it's important because I'm, I'm active on Instagram, I'm active on Facebook, and I'm active on LinkedIn. And all of those connections are, you know, it's not just I refer to those as connections, not friends or anything like that. These are all connections. And these connections can turn into business. So whether it's, you know, whether it's any of those platforms, they all have a means to 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 either generate business or allow me to connect with people who ultimately generate business. So there's, I'm a little bit old school, probably because I'm kind of old, but at the same time, I'm still eyeing other ways to generate new leads by virtue of the technology process. Now, the technology process is becoming very, very much in focus now because our business is changing. So the model has changed even it continues to change, but it's certainly changed over the last three or four years because what you've seen is a transformation from uh, a traditional lending process to a digital lend, you know, lending process. Digital is all technology-based. The forefront and sort of pioneer in that was basically Quicken and Rocket. Uh, they are now a dominant player in this industry. They probably have the largest market share right now, and they've overtaken you know, the bigger banks that used to dominate the mortgage lending business. So what's happened is that we've had to invest more and more into technology. Now, technology allows someone now to connect with me, to link directly to my website, which will take them into the application portal, which will allow them to enter all of their information pretty easily on a screen-by-screen basis in a very short amount of time. They can authorize their credit to be run. They can authorize their assets to be verified digitally. They can authorize their in their employment and income to be verified. So I'm going to know in many cases, because of the digital application process, I'm going to know everything about them and whether I can move forward on an application very, very quickly, depending on what their needs are. So technology is a big part of the lead generation. And that's that's to sort of leverage, probably I would say social media. I invest in Google so my Google profile has been, you know, has been updated constantly because people will look at my Google reviews. So it's all part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And talking about all of this, where do you think the industry is heading? You know, what are your five, 10 year projections? The biggest unknown with our industry is going to be regulation because we really don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty with regards to the future of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are the two major housing agencies that basically uh, they're actually the mortgage finance agencies. I shouldn't call them housing agencies. They support housing. They are mortgage finance agencies, and they are the biggest provider of liquidity to the mortgage market. They are the biggest purchasers of mortgage-backed securities. So that's what keeps the the uh, engine running in terms of the flow of money uh, that's utilized to fund mortgages. Right now, they're still under a, a government conservatorship, and there's been talk between, you know, the prior administration and the current administration. 
as to whether to release that, whether to release them from the conservatorship, bring in uh, private investors and have the mortgage industry sort of become more privatized and government uh, reliant. So that's an uncertainty. And we don't know what the impact of that's going to be. Could that be bad for interest rates or could it be better because there's more competition? We don't know what the outcome is with regards to all of the government spending that's going on right now and whether that's going to be a short-term boost to the economy or could it be a long-term inflationary problem for the economy and and mortgage rates hate inflation. And then, you know, the regulatory, there's still a lot of regulatory oversight with with the lending process in terms of how loans are looked at, reviewed, underwritten, and what the guidelines that have to dictate Uh, how lenders are willing or able to approve loans right now. An enormous amount of paperwork that's still required. It's not so much physical paper, but it's documentation. You know, a self-employed borrower, for the most part, is still put through a ringer that's downright scary when, and it's, the mortgage process has not evolved back to a more rational lending period where we've probably overreacted to the meltdown in 2007 and 2008 when things went off the wire because there was excessive abuse of our industry. And then we've took the pendulum and it swung completely in a different direction. And we're just still trying to come off of that to find ways to to accommodate really strong buyers without enormous amounts of, of paperwork. And that's that's right. a challenge in itself. Right. Really good projections and you know backed up with the 2008 meltdown and then the pendulum swinging. That's exactly the analogy I was going to equate to it. So great points there. Really appreciate that. To give our listeners context to where you are now, you know, 38 years into your career, uh, what was your transaction volume last year? Uh, I did $349 million in volume, which- Amazing. um, It ranks me in the top 75 for the most part. This was an amazing year. And, you know, I've done more, you know, back in 2003, 2004, I've done even more than that that kind of volume. But the thing that I don't focus on as readily, and this was a huge refi market, but despite Mm -hmm. this past year, I still did better than 60% of my volume on purchase transactions. So I I don't really rely on refinances. I'm, I'm both always purchase driven because that's that's sort of a bread and butter. If you're always working on uh, purchase transactions, then you become less affected by the uh, by the cyclical nature of our business. Because you know, I know a lot of, of great producers who probably did seventy five or eighty percent of their volume in refis, and you know, obviously, there's going to be a major impact to their volume going forward as the rates start uh, heading higher. I'm back so, up. That's not going to affect me, you know, whether I'm in a two and a half percent market range, a three and a half, four and a half. You know, I'm going back to 1983 and four, I was selling in a 15 percent interest rate. I've seen it all. Yep, absolutely. And that's a really good tip to any, you know, mortgage loan officers out there that want to insulate themselves. You can focus more on purchase and pretty much insulate yourself from the cyclical nature of the industry. Great tip there. Yep. My question regarding, you know, transaction volume and where you are now, if there's a, you know, mortgage broker out there that is interested in going from like 200 million to 250 or to 300, what are some levers they can pull or what are some tips you can give them to get to that next level? Well, if they're ready at 200 or if they're ready at 100, they've done really well. So, you know, that's still 
puts them in the top, you know, probably top 1% totally. in, in the nation. So that's just an amazing thing. And so I remember going from 40 to eight, I remember what, going from 40 to 80 and then from 80 to 100 and from 100 to, you know, 120 and then 100 to 200. So, I, you know, I remember the incremental uh, uh, changes. So when I started peaking uh, north of 250, I knew I couldn't do this all by myself anymore. So what I would mm-hmm. recommend is that they start leveraging two uh, ways of growing the business. And that's through a very, very qualified production assistance who can do, you know, who can help with uh, the paperwork transactions. And then basically what they call junior loan officers and basically create a team. And we're seeing this not just in my business, in my in mortgages, we're seeing teams being created on the real estate side too. You're seeing some of the biggest volume of the most successful real estate agents out there who are basically team leads. And that's what they have is a t- team of really good people under them, just like I do now. And they fulfill the additional uh, they take the phone calls for me. They, uh, you know, they take the applications for me in a lot of ways. And it's, you know, it's a big part of my business now by becoming a team lead instead of just uh, a chief cook and bottle washer. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Getting that team in place. And it's almost surprising to me that you can get to that volume on your own to, you know, 200 million. Maybe it's a little bit different from the real estate agent side of it. But, you know, for an agent to be at, you know, 100 million, 120 million a year in transaction, they already have a team at that point. Like, you know, to, to do that level of volume, unless you're doing mega luxury and you're also doing a significant amount of volume to get there is is pretty tough. So that's even surprising well, to me that you were at well, the that biggest, level. I think the biggest uh, regret I have is was not developing the team sooner because I, mm. I'll, I'll tell you that the detriment to the success and the volume and all that business is the time. And you cannot, all all the money in the world isn't going to buy your time back. All the time that I spent, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the office in the old days, when we actually worked in an office at night was time away from my, my growing family. So I am proud of my success, proud of the career that I've made, but I am not proud of all the time lost with, with family. And I think that that's the lesson, you know, that, that I would always tell everybody is that they've got a time block for family, you've got a time block for organization and time block for just fun to have a life because, yep. you know, any type of business, if you get too in, wrapped up into it and, and successful can sort of consume you and then you become all about it. And, you know, the flip side of my success is because I'm so I'm driven and I'm, 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 I guess I have that uh, obsessive compulsive uh, thought process where <laughs> you know, I'm always looking at my phone. So that's a big problem. So I can't tell you that it can be very distracting. Let's put it that way. Yep. And you really nailed it when you mentioned the balance of life and that you should hire a team before you're ready. Because by the time you feel ready, it's probably too late, right? No, I I will concede that was probably the biggest mistake I made was just trying to, you know, take it on myself. So yeah, you make a little more money but not really in the long run, because you can make that kind of money if you're smart. If you work smarter, you can still make a really good living and not really give it up. The biggest problem is giving it up because you have to assume that the people that are working for you can do it, can do as good a job or as, you know, as close to a good a job as you can. 
well, that's hard to, you know, I, you have to sort of, what's the word, let go a little bit. That's, that's the key is, is letting go. And, and I'm responsible for the, for my team, but I'm also proud of my, of the team because I've trained them. How they interact with my clients is incredible because they, they've learned to do things the right way. They've, they've been instilled with the same values that I have. They understand how important it is to satisfy a client. So you do that. have to let you do have to let go and believe in people. I love you're taking responsibility for them, but that's because you invested so much into them to train them and get them to the point where they are today that you feel yep. comfortable doing that. Well, yeah, yeah. and some of, you know, my, I've got team members that have been with me well over ten years, right? And that's a testament in itself. Some 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 team members have left and gone on their own, and most of you know most of the people have stayed with me because um, it's beneficial for them. You know, it's it's an interesting way to to earn a living where you don't have to worry about where your next deal is coming from, but you're still making a, an incredibly good living. Right. That makes total sense. And yeah. it seems like at this point in your career, you're at a, a place where you can almost take a thousand foot view of everything. And it seems like you're able to analyze and, and learn and, and decipher maybe some insights that you didn't previously see earlier. So when you're in the weeds as, you know, an up and coming MLO, I think it's so easy to get overwhelmed or, or, you know, have so many things going on that you might focus in the wrong areas. So do you have any questions that you ask yourself if you feel overwhelmed or, or unfocused in order to get back on track? The biggest problem, well, you know, it's an interesting question, but it's hard, it's hard specifically to answer. The biggest problem where, loan officers that become successful or do a lot of business in a very short amount of time where they run into trouble is they don't know how to know how to manage the production they don't have to you know they don't have to they don't have the experience to really understand that there's a sophistication to managing their pipeline because if they're not in constant contact with their customers because they don't they haven't time blocked they haven't organized their schedule okay and I'm talking about organizing their schedule to the day. Every day should be organized from the day that, to the minute they get up to the minute they 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 sign off. Everybody's got to be organized with when they're going to get on email, when they're going to return phone calls, how much time is going to be allocated to looking at their pipeline and managing it, how many outgoing calls are they going to make to calls, you know, for new business and things like that. There's a whole day structured every day. Um, right. And in this business, sometimes it can be so consuming that you know you do want to turn it off because. Even to this day, um, despite having a very competent team, I get calls and it's not not because they're not doing their job. I get calls directly from people who still want to call me. And that call could come in on a Friday night at eight o'clock. It come in on Sunday night at eight o'clock or Sunday morning or whatever. It comes in at all times. You kind of love it and you kind of hate it. You love that you're, you, well, let me say the hate part. The hate part is you, you feel like you're being interrupted. Let's put it that way. You know, you yeah. don't have any really time alone uh, with family when you call, when the calls are coming in and you have a choice at that point. Do you want to take the call or do you want to let it go? Because, you know, that's another decision. Every call and especially in today's times, incoming call, if you don't pick up, there is a risk more so today than ever before that you're never going to hear from those people. They may not even choose to leave a voicemail. They may just say, oh, I'm going to call the next guy. And whoever picks up is who I'm going to work with, because that's the mindset, by the way, of a millennial. Remember that they don't have time and they don't want to be bothered waiting for somebody to call them back. 
Millennial wants, a millennial in theory wants instant information. They want everything squared away. They want to, they want to get started. They want to be told what they need to hear in terms of accurate information, accurate guidance, and then they want to get going and go if they're, you know, looking for a mortgage. So that's the part that you don't like. But the part that you do like is the fact that the phone is ringing. If the phone is ringing, it means you've done something right in the first place. If you're That's making right. the phone ring, you know that everything is working in terms of how you've structured your business. Yeah, so, really good point there. Yeah. Do you have any quotes that you live by? Quotes, quotes. I kind of make, you know, every day is a quote. That's my quote. Every day <laughs> is a new quote because every day brings something new to that sort of turns the page from yesterday. And that's really how, you know, I live because I look at every day being, you know, a blessing. And uh, again, the other quote is love what you do. Mm, back to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and that's actually one of my big whys is inspiring others to pursue their dreams by leading through my own example. And you got to love what you do. I mean, I feel like if more people loved what they did, then there'd be a lot more collective happiness in the world. Yeah. And it's hard, by the way, it's hard to find, you know, when you poll people, you know, there's a lot of people that love their jobs. A lot of people hate their job and it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to find the right fit, but you got to have the right personality for the job. Um, you know, but I invest in my job. That's the other thing is it's not stagnant. So what I do in my spare time is I read a lot, you know, I follow the markets, you know, what are the things that affect my business, my industry? It could be, you know, regulatory, like I was telling you, I follow economic reports. I follow whether whether the new administration is going to take a different position than the previous administration on tax policy, for example, all these things that are coming in. And there's, you know, you look at this and constantly, every time there's new information coming through, I'm triggered to get alerts on what's going on in the marketplace, because whether it could be in it, it could be an economic release of information that could trigger the market. It could be a geopolitical event. It could be something going on. I mean, look what happened over the past year with COVID. Uh, you talk about a swing. You know, we went, uh, there was a period just over a year ago when COVID first hit, nobody knew what was going on. Right. Okay. Everything, when we were shut down, okay, right around this time, when we were shut down, there was no, you know, nobody buying homes because you couldn't, you know, realtors couldn't, couldn't show homes. Interest rates were at a standstill, and this is right before the Fed started injecting money into it. So nobody knew what was going on. And we could have looked at 2020 as a disaster com completely. But as I started reading and seeing what was going on and how the government was injecting you know, liquidity into the market, pushing interest rates down, and then as we started opening up a little bit on top of people starting to feel that this was a great, great time to buy. And they were motivated by a lot of things. But one of the major motivations that changed the whole psychology of the buying process was the uh, working from home, was the virtual work, remote work, I call it. When people realize that they can do their job just as effectively from their, from their home office as opposed to going into a building, uh, sitting with a bunch of people, that meant you could kind of live anywhere. You didn't have to live near a rail line. You didn't have to live in the city. And people said, wow, now I've got the best of both situations. I can go, I can live anywhere. I can go find a home, a single family home, feel safe about it and not have to worry about commuting. It changed the whole psychology. And that's what created this explosion in real estate this past year. Right. 
no, it's it's been a very interesting year. And like you said, so many other, so many families now are looking for work-life play. They don't want to just have a home that's convenient because that's where they work or maybe they work two hours away from where they live because they can't afford to live that close. And now they're commuting four hours a day. That's been eliminated, which I'm a huge fan of. I, yep. I love that. Less cars yep. on the road, happier people, more time spent with families. I mean, all pluses in my book. Yes. So, yeah. you know, when it comes to business and life, what's your process for evaluating what to say no to? Because there are so many things to just be like, yes, yes, yes. And interesting opportunities or, you know, different things that will maybe a speaking engagement that'll take you away from your family or, you know, there's so many things. There's constant. It's like you said, I've you always, the phone. You know, I've, I, yeah, the biggest problem I've always had is is never to say no, because I always want to do something. I always want right. to stay relevant. I always want to uh, take advantage of an opportunity. I've donated my time in a lot of different ways. I've donated my time as, you know, as a as a basketball coach for my kids or coach little league, I've coached soccer. I was on the, you know, I, I, I'm still on the, uh, the town sports council. I've done podcasts. I've done, I did it uh, about 13, 14 years ago. I did a radio show every week and a local uh, AM station that was, you know, just, it was like a half hour live show with one of my colleagues and we did, and we just did mortgage talk, you know, and what was going on in the real estate market. I've done some nonprofits. I'm, I've, in, uh, I've been involved with Habitat for hum Humanity. I was involved with a uh, children's, it was called the Kids Construction Club, where we uh, educated kids on the benefits of the construction industry. I thought that was a really cool organization. And most of the time over the past 15 years, I've dedicated uh, to the uh, Home Builders Association. So the Home Builders Association is uh, organization is obviously to support housing from low end to high end. And it's a volunteer thing. And I've, you know, I've been an executive officer and donated a lot of my time and a lot of my money uh, to supporting that organization, the Home Builders Association, because it's kind of self-serving because you're giving back your time and your, and, and your support uh, financially to an organization that supports housing, which supports your own industry and provides you a, a networking opportunity to do business with more people. So probably that was a very, very astute move of mine years ago to do that. And that's been extremely rewarding because again, it's a way of giving back your time, but like anything, it's time. So when do you say no? You know, should I have said no to talking to you, Jeff? No, I want to share. You know, any type of uh, of time spent with uh, with someone like yourself is a way to, to share best practices, share ideas and disseminate them, which I'm happy to do. Well, I sure appreciate it. And, you know, I know that our listeners really appreciate it as well. You've already dropped so much value in this podcast. Uh, I'm curious, you know, do you have anything that you do for your clients that nobody else in the industry does that you know of? No, I don't think there's a secret sauce there that we do differently. I think, like I said, it's about setting the right expectations. It's about transparency. It's about guidance. I don't think that's any big secret, but it is the secret to success. Meaning you can't, you cannot succeed uh, unless you take care of the client and they find that the process at the end was exactly how it was outlined at the beginning. Got it. Makes total sense. I mean, yeah. it's it's nothing that's super sexy or the secret sauce, this magic bullet. 
but it's back to the fundamentals of being a good person, do what you say, and right, setting expectations. Which I think yeah, is so, and so again, I, you know, I've point. got, I've had the benefit of old school. You know, we didn't have the tools when I first got started. We didn't have the tools. I didn't have a mobile phone. I didn't have a computer. We were doing stuff by by you know. I didn't even have a fax machine when I first started in my office. We had nothing. So uh, everything was hand done. You know. The biggest thing I had was an answering machine at home. People needed to get me. We didn't even have voicemail. I didn't have voicemail at the office when I first got started. We had to wait. You know, so we were open from nine to five. The only time someone could get you was was during business hours where the receptionist would take the uh, call and and then she'd write down the message. And you had these little little message pads. uh, You kind of miss those days? No. But um, (laughs) when you've seen it all, you know, that's what makes me wow. You know, you've seen it, it's it's generational change though of where we've come, and it's a lot different. But to have the experience of what went on when you didn't have those tools available gives you a very different perspective on on where we are today. Absolutely, no, it really does. Hey, is there a question that I should have asked you, or something that you'd like to elaborate on from earlier? I don't think so. I think that we've covered. I mean, we've covered a lot. I wish you know. If there were people that could jump through the screen and ask questions, I'd be happy to do it. But that's not what this you know, podcast is about. But I hope, you know, my hope is or my question is, you know, did I connect with the audience? Did I make someone say, hey, that makes sense? You know, did I deliver something that is of use and value uh, to your audience? Then I know I did my job. Yes. And I would say you did. You know, it made sense to me. And I think that you offered some really interesting insights. And a lot of them came back to the fundamentals, but you you came up with some awesome ones for scaling, you know, what to focus on different lead generation sources, like we covered so much, as you mentioned, so really appreciate you being on how can listeners contact you? They can contact me by my mobile number, I generously give it out. So it's not private, it's 908-202-7293. My website, michaelborodinsky.com or my email address, michael.borodinsky at caliberhomeloans.com. So lots of ways to get me. Excellent. Look me up. Yeah, look him up. I sure do appreciate being the host for you today and having you on as a guest. Michael Borodinsky, everyone. He is the, in the top 75, top 1% real estate mortgage broker. And he's an amazing, amazingly successful uh, one at that. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank your time. you. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. And uh, we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.